Hello and welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about chapters 7 through 9 of The Last Olympian. <laughs> are you ready for what I believe is the most romantic paragraph oh. in this entire oh. book? I'm so ready and I'm again very jealous that you got this. I feel like this is like revenge for me getting the last kiss and uh, whatever else I've gotten. Yes. I don't even know what I've gotten, but this is revenge. This is revenge. I think it's also I just have gotten a lot of longer chapters previously, so now you're getting all the long chapters and I'm getting all of the romantic ones. Yeah. What is that about? Why can't they be long and romantic? Why can't the romantic ones be long? <laughs> Give us more perks about. I almost said perk about again. Oh God, perky, perky Jackson, perky Jackson, my boy, <laughs> my boy, my boy perks. Are you also ready for like English teacher level analysis of children's books? Like we're gonna dive yes. into it. Yes, giving Rick more credit than <laughs> what he intended. <laughs> Reading into things that he's like, I did not mean to do that. And we're like, and the meaning of this is. <laughs> we're like, it's brilliant. He layered it, he, the foresight, and he's just like, you know, smashing his keyboard and just yeah. creating some content. He's like, I don't know. I wrote this at 3 a.m. after four <laughs> cups of coffee. And we're just like, it's so artful. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so we're about to dive into the underworld and maybe get betrayed by a friend. So Erin, you have a lot of talking to do, so I'll let you get started. I do. Everyone gets to listen to the lovely sound of my voice for too long. All right, chapter seven. My math teacher gives me a lift. We find out here about another entrance to the underworld, the door of Orpheus, which is hidden by a pile of rocks at Central Park and opens up if somebody sings to it. And I want you to know that this is in Gregor the Overlander, the series. There is an entrance to the Underland in Central Park, like in a grate or something under some rocks. And I think that therefore Percy Jackson fits into the canon of Gregor the Overlander. Is Hades just a giant rat in disguise? <laughs> well, more so I'm thinking the the Underland is like in between, you know? Like you go down below New York, you find the Underland, you keep going. You're in you're in uh, Hades, hell, whatever it's called. The Underworld. <laughs> the underworld. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I love the idea that Percy, if he'd just taken like a quicker left sooner, he would have just like seen a bunch of rats and Gregor yeah. just like fighting this war, but he just kept going, so he missed it. Yeah, and Gregor also canonically is like Percy's age, I think, and he's also living, I think he also is in Manhattan. Isn't in Gregor like apartment. 11? Okay, yeah, but <laughs> he's like 12 the whole series, but you know, maybe. Maybe this is going on in tandem, and, you know, the worlds collide. <laughs> it's all I think of when I read this, so I'm like, that's not the entrance to the underworld, that's the entrance to the underland, Rick. You stole. <laughs> I'm sure Susan Collins also believes this. Yeah, I'm sure she does. She read yeah. this and was like, hmm, yeah, the underland. 
Anyway, Percy and Nico, they reach this place where, like, you have to sing to open a rock, and they both are just like, well, we can't sing, so what are we gonna do? Like, instead (laughs) of just trying, like, I doubt you have to sing well, instead of just trying to sing, they're both like, we're too embarrassed to try, so... That's not going to work. I love the idea that this is like American Idol, where they wouldn't get into the (laughs) underworld because they're not good. They should have had judges. Simon Cowell's there. Simon Cowell's like, sorry, you can't go to the underworld. It's a no for me, dog. Yeah. So Percy and Nico are like, we're not going to audition for American Idol. And Percy then decides the solution is to scream Grover's name. Which for some reason he thinks will work, and it doesn't. And then instead he's like, I guess I'll use my empathy link. I just found it really strange that he was like, Grover! And then he's like, ah, he didn't hear me. I'm like, what? And so he closes his eyes and thinks about Grover to access that empathy link, and he enters a sort of dream state and sees an image of Grover lying in the forest surrounded by roots. He wakes Grover up, and then he snaps out of it, and he's like, Grover's coming. And sure enough, Grover appears next to them a minute later, emerging from the trees. It turns out Grover was actually on the other end of the park, so, like, maybe he could have heard Percy if his ears were, like, really good. I don't know. Central Park is large, dude. I cannot imagine Percy screamed that loudly. And how is he not embarrassed to scream Grover, but he's embarrassed to sing? (laughs) sing. (laughs) I don't know. Um... Well, and Grover is super thrown off when Percy's like, where have you been? You've been missing for two months. And Grover's like, excuse me? Apparently two months ago, which feels like just yesterday to Grover, he had been walking along and saw a man with a black, like, trench coat walking through the park and noticed that this man didn't cast a shadow. Everyone this man walked by would just pass out asleep. They'd, like, curl up on wherever they were standing or on a bench or whatever. And Grover had been about to summon some dryads and try to capture this guy when the guy put Grover to sleep. Nico then informs Grover that this must be Morpheus, the god of dreams, because Nico just knows he these knows things. everything. It's incredible. He, it's for sure because of that magic uh, deck that he was playing with. Oh my gosh, you're right. I for, I was like, he feels like he's being a stand-in for Annabeth, but then it's like, oh no, Nico just knows all the gods. Oh. Yeah. He probably their attack like, powers, everything. In his head, he's like, Morpheus, he was a good one against this god, but not good against <laughs> But he's like, I'm not going to say it. No. But <laughs> Morpheus is the god of dreams, and he apparently put Grover to sleep for a whole two months. And he's been working for Kronos, which makes Nico more anxious to get on with their plan and make Percy able to fight Luke, which he's still like not telling us what this plan is. Percy asks Grover to play music to open up the rocks, which he does, and then the boulders tremble and open to reveal steps down to the underworld or underland. <laughs> Grover goes off to rally more nature spirits and make up for lost time, and Nico, Percy, and Mrs. O'Leary head down into the darkness. After a really, really long descent, because they probably passed by the underland, they emerge at the base. He's really sticking to that one, huh? I'm really sticking it to it yeah. for the maybe, like, maybe one person who listens to this who's also read that series. Highly recommend. Go on. Go on and go on and find them. Anyway, they emerge at the base of a cliff on volcanic sand. The river sticks to their right and Hades is kingdom to their left. Percy asks Nico what's next, and Nico's like, we need to get something. Even though, according to their plan, all they need is the river, Nico's like, we gotta go to Dad's palace, and Percy's like, I don't know about that, but he reluctantly follows Nico toward the black gates of Hades' palace. On the way, they meet an old friend, it's Mrs. Dodds. 
our favorite fury, not furry. Thank you. And you're welcome. <laughs> her and her her pals are guarding the palace. Nico nods at them and says, "I've done what my father asked. Asked to take us to the palace." Well, it turns out that Nico Loki betrayed Percy. His father had promised him new information about his family in exchange for seeing Percy before they tried the river, a plan that still hasn't been explained. And the Furies grab Percy and drop him in the middle of the palace garden. Love that. Love a good betrayal from our boy Nico. Mm. The, fir- the first of many. <laughs> oh, but it's okay. I love Nico. The garden sounds really cool. It's all like crystals and poisonous plants, like Goth Girl meets Cottage Core. And then, what do the kids that call goth girls now? E-girls? Isn't that no, a thing? Or is that different? That's different. I think, yeah, hmm. they're just not like other okay. girls. They look similar in their looks. E-girls are more like anime. They're actually like internet girls, right? Like they're yeah. supposed to be more yeah. whatever. I feel like they're the modern goth girl. <laughs> like like our, when we were in high school, the goth girls were also kind of be, the beginnings of internet girls. Like, they dye their hair pink and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's pretty cool. And there we find three figures, Hades, Persephone, and Demeter. Hades explains that he just wants to talk to Percy, and Nico says that he promised Percy wouldn't be harmed. Despite how much Hades wants to kill Percy, he says, just a little bit. Let me kill him just a little bit. Which is funny. Amazing. Hades starts telling Nico and exchange like the information about his mother um, that he brought Percy there for. He's like just telling him then and there in front of everyone, and uh, also uh, making Persephone really mad, who's like, "Don't bring up that woman." And he's like, "I'm so sorry." Mm. Um, Maria D'Angelo, whom he met in D.C. while World War II was brewing. It wasn't a good time to be a child of Hades, because Hades heavily implies that Hitler was a child of Hades. Jesus Christ. Right? He just casually is like, um, the children of Hades were on the losing side. Nico, your half-brother is Hitler. (laughs) Yikes. Big yikes. Not a good look. No wonder he hid them in the Mm. Lotus Casino. He hid Nico and Bianca there for, like, 40 years or whatever. Mm. And Nico then asks what happened to his mother, and Hades won't answer and gets angry, even though, like, he promised Nico information about his family, but what does that even... A god's promise is worth al- worse almost as little as a Percy promise about <laughs> people not dying, and then they do. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I know. He tells Nico that the person who freed him from the Lotus Casino was one of his furies in disguise, and he freed them at that time because he wanted his child to be the prophecy child, not a child of Poseidon. That's crazy. And the prophecy child dies, Hades, according, or like maybe that's what they think. What made me so mad, I put this in my notes, but I was like, the fact that Hades only freed Nico and Bianca because he's like, oh, this increases my chances of making the child of the prophecy my child instead of Poseidon's. Like, would he have just left them there if there was no prophecy? Like, I think he forgot about them. 100%. I mean, they're like out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah. That's so, oh, that makes me so mad. Well, then Percy yells at Hades for not helping the other gods defend Olympus. And Hades says he'd prefer to just wait it out. And he's like, what did the gods ever do for me? And, like, that's that's kind of true. But also, like, they're, everyone's dying. I don't know. And then he demands Percy be locked up in the dungeons, which pisses Nico off because that wasn't part of their agreement. And Hades is just kind of like, well, um, I didn't swear on the river Styx, so it doesn't count. 
And before sending him off, Hades says to Percy, Don't feel too bad, Percy Jackson. My ghosts keep me well informed of Cronus's plans. I can assure you that you had no chance of stopping him in time. By tonight, it will be too late for your precious Mount Olympus. The trap will be sprung. And then Percy gets, like, flown away to the dungeons. I don't understand people who are like, why should I participate? Like, no one, like... No one's ever been there for me. And I'm like, yeah, maybe this is why. Because you suck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, no wonder. Like, yes, Zeus sucks. Zeus sucks for banishing Hades. But also, like, do the right thing, Hades. Which, like, I guess he does eventually. But I also don't understand. He's like, what is there for me to defend? I was like, okay, maybe not the gods. This maybe has nothing to do with the gods. What about the mortal world where you had, you know, apparently a love affair with someone you really mm-hmm. loved at one point? There were people there that you cared about at some point or the other who have lived in that time period. Do something. Yeah. I do kind of love that Demeter's also hiding down there. She's just like, I don't want to fight this war. I'm going to hang out with my daughter and my son-in-law. Like, She's what? classic, the worst mother-in-law trope. She's and it's, so bad. <laughs> it's so funny because Percy's just like in the middle of this weird family squabble. <laughs> just yeah. like, Can I leave? And he's like, Demeter's like, you shouldn't have married that loser. And Percy's like, can we not have this conversation here? <laughs> He's like, why do I need to be here for this conversation? Yeah. And I love the idea that, like, Demeter just is always passive-aggressive to Hades. Yeah. But, you know, he can't do anything because she's also a god. So it's not like he can do anything. And he's, it's his mother-in-law. It's really funny. It's just great because, like, she can't really, she doesn't have any power in this situation. Her daughter married this guy. He sucks. He's also the lord of the dead. So what is she going to do? So she's going to be the absolute most annoying person alive. That's valid, you know? Yeah, yeah. I respect like, her for that. abuse his hospitality and annoy him. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that for her. <laughs> I think those are all my notes. I think just anger at Hades and love for, humorous love for Demeter. Yep. All right, well, I'll take it on then. Chapter 8, I Take the Worst Bath Ever. With really incredible timing, Percy gets his sword back while he's imprisoned. Percy's also fairly certain that the prison is airtight and he may run out of oxygen in an hour or two. There's nothing much left to do but doze off. He dreams about Rachel and I was like somewhere above ground, Annabeth just like feels like this itch in the back of her neck and is just like, I'm angry at Percy for no reason, I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah. Rachel is vacationing in the Bahamas. Her father and mother are reading outside while Rachel wears a Van Gogh t-shirt and mopes. (laughs) (laughs) Boo-hoo! I love Rachel, but I do not feel bad for her. (laughs) I mean, it does suck that she thinks that she's crazy and she's like, doesn't have any autonomy in her dynamic, but like, it's being a teenager and, you know, there's worse things that could happen. But anyway. Yeah. Percy wonders if she's thinking about him and missing him because he's definitely missing her and wishing he was on vacation with her. The scene changes and Percy is now at the Arch in St. Louis, where he was in the first book, if we remember. A furious storm is brewing above and emergency vehicles and news reporters have gathered at the bottom of the Arch where a building has collapsed. A news reporter states that officials believe that it was a structural issue that may have been dependent on the weather. There were no casualties, luckily, but it's 
Collapse may trigger more buildings to fall. At that moment, a bolt of lightning flashes across the sky, and we, through Percy's eyes, of course, see that the news reporter see what the news reporters cannot. The dark cloud seems to be moving, and Zeus is throwing his master bolt at it. It staggers back a bit, but it doesn't seem to really slow down. Percy then sees a streak of silver as a chariot with Artemis pulled by reindeers darts towards the cloud. Hmm. Which I thought was cool. He's like, it's not Santa Claus, it's Artemis. <laughs> yeah. A golden comet streaks by and Percy assumes that it's Apollo also joining the fight. Typhon has made it across the Mississippi River and is already halfway across the U.S. headed towards New York City. The gods, with all of their powers, are barely slowing him down. Percy is awoken by someone hissing his name and he blindly pins that person down. It's Nico, and he's holding him at sword point and kind of choking him. Nico says he wants to rescue Percy, and the reality is that even though Percy's really mad at his goth son, he really has no other choice but to trust him. Nico tries to explain that he had no idea what Hades was going to do and imprisoning Percy, but they have to work together to get out of the jail. Nico and Percy move through the corridors. Every time they encounter a skeleton guard, Nico basically renders it useless, but it's using all of Nico's really cool, weird, dead energy. <laughs> By the time they get out of the palace, Percy's literally dragging Nico. The alarms go off, and Percy has to run, with Nico dragging behind him, which I think is a great visual. Because yeah. you know he's not careful about it. No, he's like banging him into the walls. He's like, <laughs> I'm mad at you. <laughs> Luckily, our favorite character, Mrs. O'Leary, comes and helps them out. She gives them a ride to the River Styx. Nico's about to pass out, but Percy reminds him that he literally has no idea what they need to do or what, how the plan's going to unfold, and Nico kind of wakes himself up. The River Styx is swirling with a bunch of different objects, broken toys, ripped-up college diplomas, wilted homecoming corsages, basically all the dreams people had thrown away as they passed from life to death. She was like, Jesus, Rick. <laughs> Wow. So dark. Percy has to prepare before he jumps into the river. He needs to pick a spot to tether himself back into the mortal world. Uh, Before Percy jumps in, Achilles comes. The ghost of Achilles comes in and warns him against following in his footsteps. He reveals he tried to warn Luke against it as well, but unfortunately that solidifies Percy's need to gain the power or curse. Achilles also kind of warns him that it wasn't, like, Achilles had no choice in bearing the curse. Like, his mom kind of, like, like a tea bag dipped him into the river by his heel, but it was Achilles' own um, assholeness, is the only way I can really say it, <laughs> that led to his own demise. Also, I mean, the death of Patrocles didn't help, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Percy picks a spot the small on the small of his back directly across his navel. He chooses it because it's covered with armor most of the time, and it's not likely a likely spot to be hit on accident. He's like, I think it's also more dignified than my armpit or like my butthole, but like <laughs> Which I think would have been hilarious. Can you imagine? Cause then like also that's like kind of sucks for whoever has to you know go in there and kill him I'm but anyway you, right <laughs> can you imagine he like makes eye contact with chronos and it's like i'll tell you where my spot is dude <laughs> wink wink it's in my ass <laughs> okay i'm very off track anyway <clears throat> Then he uh, jumps in. He's like, I'm going to try to slowly, heroically wade in. But instead, the moment he steps in, his muscles freeze up and he just flat on his face falls into the water. Nice. <laughs> Which is peak comedy to me. So good. 
For the first time in his life, Percy cannot breathe underwater. Every nerve in his body feels like it's on fire, and the people in his life appear before him. He sees Tyson, Grover, and his mother all just like speak a quick sentence before disappearing, and Percy's losing the fight. He feels his soul being ripped from his body, and his limbs feel like they're melting into the river. Suddenly, he hears a familiar voice reminding him of his cord and his lifeline. And I'm about to read what I think is just, ugh, ugh, absolute chef's kiss. Okay, anyways. Hold on, seaweed brain. It was Annabeth's voice, much clearer now. You're not getting away from me that easily. The cord strengthened. I could see Annabeth now, standing barefoot above me on the canoe, Lake Pier. I'd fallen out of my canoe. That was it. She was reaching out her hand to haul me up, and she was trying not to laugh. She wore her orange camp t-shirt and jeans. Her hair was tucked up in her Yankees cap, which was strange because that should have made her invisible. You are such an idiot sometimes, she smiled. Come, take my hand. Memories came flooding back to me, sharper and more colorful. I stopped dissolving. My name was Percy Jackson. I reached up and took Annabeth's hand. Suddenly, it burst out of the river. I collapsed onto the sand, and Nico scrambled back in surprise. Oh, oh my god! So good. So good. He just like has this I moment of stillness, and he sees the person that he can rely most on, and the person he loves the most, without, of course, realizing that's the reason he sees her. Yeah, he's like my good friend Annabeth. <laughs> We're pals, and that's why she saved my life. And she's the only thing I thought about as I was feeling my soul ripped from my body. Good pals. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. So good. Oh. Percy comes out of the river with his skin bright red and burnt. His skin heals, and before they can figure out if anything has changed and if the river worked, an army of dead marches towards them. Hundreds of armed skeletons attack with Hades himself at the helm in his chariot. Percy attacks and the river sticks itself explodes and smashes through the army. Guns are being fired and spears thrown, but nothing touches Percy. He demolishes hundreds of enemies and knocks the literal god of death out of his chariot and has his knee on his chest. Percy demands to know more about this trap that Hades had mentioned in your chapter, but Hades melts and disappears like a coward, leaving only his cloak behind. I know. Just kind of melts into the ground like, ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta go. Percy declares that the river thing worked, and Nico's about to pass out. He's fangirling so hard. (laughs) I was like, poor Nico. Percy releases the tormented spirits that are living in Hades' robes back into the river and turns to Nico. He tells Nico that he has to go back to his father and get more information and convince him to help. Nico was afraid, but Percy kind of basically admits that he doesn't really trust Nico anymore. But he does it kindly because, you know, being a parent is hard, but you have to do it. (laughs) Nico agrees to try and Percy heads out of the underworld on Mrs. O'Leary to go find Luke and get the war started. I like, oh man, couple of things. I got into a whole spiel where I think that it's in, it's interesting, but it's also super crappy that each of the children of the gods has to take on their parents' fatal flaw and basically learn from them and try to be better people. 
with no help or guidance from their parents who are also gods. Like, they don't have either avenue. Like, at least, like, some people, if they don't have, like, a good family structure, they find faith. Or if they don't have faith, they have, like, a good family structure. I mean, these kids don't have either because their faith is essentially also their family structure. Yeah. So, like, examples, I was thinking how, like, Clarice has to be empathetic and kinder because Ares is an asshole. Talia has to lean on others because Zeus just wants glory and fame. Mm -hmm. And she wants to be out of the spotlight. And Percy, I mean, Poseidon's has his whole slew of problems. And Percy (laughs) tries to be there for others and step up because Poseidon never did that for him. And Nico is like reaching out, even if it makes him look weak to other people and trying to help people who maybe have betrayed him or he doesn't really have a strong relationship with because he understands that human connection is important. Mm -hmm. And I like... It's very realistic to, like, I don't know, how we grew up, too. It's, like, learning from our parents' mistakes or older siblings or older mentors' mistakes and having that burden on our shoulders and trying to do that. And I was just, like, just, just like, hate the gods. Yeah. <laughs> this is all yeah. that I have to say. Yeah. They suck. They yeah. really suck. My other note is I – this scene of him in the water where everything's kind of culminating and all these bad things are happening and then he has this moment of stillness and he sees Annabeth. I was like, I already know what song I'm going to play. What song are you going to play? Well, it's out of two and um, you'll have to – I don't know if I can let, let you listen to it now or I'll have you pick it after. But either the ending of Stuck in Gravity by Of Monsters and Men – or the bridge in um, Here's to Us by Ellie Goulding. Those are the two okay. Okay. choices I'm laying out. Um, if anyone else has any um, uh, ideas of like what they think that should be, if it kind of lines up with what I'm thinking of, of this moment of just like pure heroism and love, oh. please let me know because I love songs like that. So oh, we need like a just a whole playlist just for this moment. Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> okay. Chapter nine. Two snakes save my life. Percy pops out of the underworld and heads on over to the Empire State Building to meet everyone from camp. Minus Clarice, because she sucks. That's like where he told everyone to meet him. 40 campers in total who are ready to fight this war. Annabeth comes up to him and immediately frowns and is like, you're looking at me funny. And he realized that he's just like been staring at her, thinking about his vision of her in the river Styx. Mm. He's like, why am I, why am I feeling this way? But he tells Annabeth that it's nothing and then addresses everybody. Percy tells everyone that he knows something bad will happen tonight and that Typhon is a trap. He says that they need to get an audience with Zeus and demand that he defend the city. Percy and the campers head on up to the tippy top of the Empire State Building to visit Mount Olympus. While they're getting out of the elevator, Annabeth notes that Percy looks different and wants to know where he went. He never really told her or anyone where he was going. But he says that he'll tell her later and leads everyone toward the palace. While walking there, Annabeth sees a statue of Hera and mutters under her breath um, and informs Percy that ever since last summer when she insulted Hera, cows have been following her around, which is Hera's sacred animal, and pooping everywhere she goes. That's (laughs) so good. It's so petty of Hera and so good. But also, every time... 
I, when I was reading this, I was like, have Percy and Annabeth, like, barely talked all year? Like, why wouldn't he know this? If he, like, had been seeing her, he probably would have noticed the cows. But this just makes me sad because it's like, oh, they, like, really haven't been connecting for a whole year. Because at the end of the last book, he asks her to call him, and she basically yeah. says no. Well, she says yes, but he knows that she's not going to reach out, so he doesn't see her for that whole school year, and then he spends the most of the summer up until this point with Rachel, so. Hmm. Well, maybe if you had called her just once, Percy. I know. He was like, you call me. I'm like, so dumb. So dumb. Ugh. So sad. They head on over to the palace. Nobody is guarding the throne room. It's empty except for our old pal Bessie, the Ophia Taurus, who's just, like, swimming around, and Hestia, who, you know, has been, like, taking care of the hearth. He looks into Hestia's eyes and is, like, he, like, immediately sees a magic vision. She says to him, You gained much on your journey, but you are still blind to the most important truth. Perhaps a glimpse is in order. And then it's like, like that's so Raven, like, looking into her eye. <laughs> it's like, Gee. And so he sees this vision of two half-bloods in an alley. It's a young Talia and a young Luke. They approach a little girl with blonde hair who protests against them, saying, No more monsters. Go away. It's a baby Annabeth who is freshly homeless. Talia and Luke introduce themselves to this baby Annabeth. Luke comforts her and gives her, even gives her his dagger to defend herself, the same dagger that she carries today. Because previously she'd been using a hammer against the monsters, which, oh. like, breaks my heart against this little, like, seven-year-old carrying a hammer. Yeah. And she, it's also said she's, like, in her pajamas because she, like, left in the middle. Oh, it's so sad. Annabeth makes him promise not to take her back to her family. And Luke says, you're part of our family now, and I promise I won't let anything hurt you. I'm not going to fail you like our families did. Deal? The scene then shifts, and the three of them are running along in the woods. They reach Luke's old house, which Percy recognizes from just visiting May Castellan, and Luke tells Talia and Annabeth to wait while he goes and sees his mom to get emergency help, because they're, like, all kind of hurt and running from monsters, and they, like, lost their last safe place. Then a brilliant gold flash illuminates the woods and a man's voice says, you should not have come home. The scene ends there and Percy is back in Olympus staring at Hestia and no time has passed. He's like, how long was I out? And Annabeth's like, what are you talking about? Nobody else saw any of this vision. Percy doesn't understand why he was shown these scenes. And he honestly doesn't think much about it. Like he just kind of immediately is like, Hestia, we got it. We are here on urgent business. We got to talk to Zeus. Which is just so classic Percy to not think about it at all. If a god is showing you a vision, if anyone shows you a vision, maybe you should, like, analyze it. He does that with his dreams. Why wouldn't he yeah. do that in this moment? She literally says to him, like, you still have much to learn. A vision is in order. And he sees this and he's like, I don't know why she showed me this. Anyways, how? where's Zeus? <laughs> Like, I get that they're, like, you know, fighting a war. They're on a bit of a time crunch, but it's quite funny that he just doesn't think about it at all. And then a man's voice interrupts as he's telling Hestia, like, yo, we need, to, we need to talk to Zeus about something. It is the same voice from the vision. It's Hermes and his little snake pals, George and Martha, who, and, and Hermes says, we know what you need. 
We find out from Hermes that he's there to take a message on behalf of Zeus, and that the only reason he even actually bothered to come see them was because Athena insisted. Because she knows it's a trap. She's the only god with the brain cell. Mm. Hermes assures them that the Olympus isn't completely undefended. Apparently there's strong magical wards, and also King Aeolus, King of the Winds, sent his most powerful Winions to guard the palace so nobody can reach the palace via air, and so all the monsters would have to take the elevator, which Percy, like, thinks about and imagines, and he's like, that's kind of funny. Listen, <laughs> like, all the monsters listening to elevator music. Have to come Percy's... up in shifts. <laughs> right? <laughs> a little handful at a time, they're all squeezed <laughs> in there. <laughs> Percy still thinks that they need a few gods there. But Hermes says that Typhon is their greatest enemy, and he needs, like, they need all their focus on Typhon. He relays a message from Athena. Athena said to tell, mostly Annabeth, that they're on their own and must hold Manhattan without the help of the gods. Hermes clearly thinks this warning is stupid because he, like everyone else, is like, Man, I guess I'll tell you something from Athena. Like, Typhon's the only thing we need to fight. So none of the gods believe Athena. The goddess of wisdom. Because <laughs> and the goddess stupid. of war. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, what is the point of having a goddess of wisdom if you don't listen to her? It. <sighs> I hate the gods. <laughs> and also, like, why can't she just leave and go tell them herself? Like, I know Zeus is, like, the king, but you're all gods. Whatever. It's stupid. I hate the gods dynamic. Anyway, Athena also relayed to Hermes to tell Annabeth to try Plan 23 and to tell Percy to remember the rivers and also stay away from her daughter. <laughs> Which I really love the visual of them all, like, fighting Typhon and Hermes is like, I'm gonna go talk to Percy. We got some people at Mount Olympus wanting to talk to us. And Athena is just like, wait, okay. And she's, like, stressed and, like, tell it, trying to tell him, like, try Plan 23 and tell Percy this. And then she's like, wait. Tell that bitch to stay away from my daughter. Like, <laughs> I love that. And they all, Annabeth and Percy also, like, he's like, I don't know which one of us was redder after that. So, like, mm. Percy, you know you have a little crush. You're just being silly. Annabeth then says that she's sorry about Luke to Hermes. And this, like, flips a switch in Hermes. He gets super angry. He turns on Annabeth and blames her for failing to save Luke because she was quote, the only one who could have. Oh, please. <laughs> right? I hate this. Percy then immediately jumps to her defense and says that it's that it is like, it's your fault, Hermes. Like, you made Luke like this. You made May like this. Like, you're the one who messed up. Which makes Hermes try and straight up attack Percy. But the snakes whisper something in his ear and inform Hermes that Percy has taken on the curse of Achilles. Her so, like, he's invincible, basically. So this man, sorry, this god would have like straight up killed Percy right then and there. The Just one who's supposed for... to be the prophecy. Yep, he would have, yeah. he's like, well, we're making a new prophecy now. <laughs> <laughs> and Hermes then breaks a bit and he says in his anger, you have no idea how much I have sacrificed. How much mm. my son, my greatest pride, my poor May. Aw, the consequences of your own actions coming up to you. <laughs> Oh, poor baby. Play, play my little violin. <laughs> Tiniest violin in the world. Yeah. Yes. Percy then, to, after this, like, Hermes is, like, clearly really emotional. Percy has no ability to read the room and is just like, what happened to May? Like, can you tell me? 
And Hermes is then like, I'm leaving, and he disappears. After Hermes is gone, Annabeth starts crying. Percy comforts her and says that she didn't do anything to deserve Hermes' blame. But she, like, isn't really saying anything back to him. And when he's like, right? Like, you didn't do anything, right? She doesn't, like, say anything. She doesn't say no. So clearly she thinks she did do something. And nothing Percy's saying will make her feel any better. Finally, she calms down a bit and asks Percy why he brought up May and why he met Luke's mother in the first place. And, and Percy's just like, oh, well, Nico took me there. And Annabeth is like, why? And she doesn't understand why they visited her. And then it all hits her at once. How Hermes mentioned the curse of Achilles, how they went, how Luke would have gotten his mother's permission, Nico, and like the connection to the underworld. Annabeth's read the book, you know, <laughs> and she asks him if he bathed in the river Styx, and he says, maybe a little, which is oh a very funny way to say that. And he tells her about what happened in the underworld, but of course he, like, doesn't mention that, like, he had a magical romantic vision of her. And she puts together that Luke must have taken on the curse of Achilles, too, and this, like, makes Percy grump a bit. Like, Annabeth's like, that's what Luke did. Like, Luke, what were you thinking? And Percy's like, oh, no, you're worried about Luke. And Annabeth oh is God. like, what? <laughs> and Annabeth just, like, she's just clearly following her train of thought and isn't really paying attention to Percy, and Percy's being a little, little jealous dude. And because Percy just, like, changes the subject because he hates any time Annabeth brings up Luke and says that they need to defend Olympus. And Annabeth then gets out Daedalus's laptop, which she just carries around with her, which I love, and opens up Plan 23, which is the one that her mother told her to use in her message through Hermes. Before she has a chance to tell Percy what exactly Plan 23 is, the Stoll brothers run into the throne room and tell them all to come outside. They find all the other campers, like, gathered around the edge of the mountain looking down on the city. So Percy joins them and looks down and can tell that something is wrong, but at first he can't figure it out. He's like, I don't see any giant monsters, nobody's, like, doing anything. And then he's like, wait a second, nobody's doing anything. And they realize that they can't hear any noises at all from the city. Nobody's moving or driving or hustling about. Pedestrians are all just lying on the street and curled up in doorways and sleeping. But nobody's hurt, which I I call BS on. Mm -hmm. If they fell asleep at the wheel, they're hurt. They're so, like, people definitely died in this. I refuse to believe that Morpheus spared their lives, but it's fine. I mean, so, even when Typhon is going around destroying buildings, each building is, like, miraculously empty because it was going to be renovated soon. And I'm like, sure, that's very convenient. I'm like, sure. Like, at least a few people had to have died from all of this. At minimum. At minimum. Yeah. So they're all asleep, which Percy is like, oh, it's Morpheus, dude in the trench coat. And the invasion has started. So my notes are that I love Percy just outwardly staring at Annabeth weirdly. Like, so weird that Annabeth is like, what, is there something on my face? Like, what's wrong with me? And he's just like, oh, nothing. I also love that Annabeth, like, when she looks at him, she's like, you look different. Which is basically being like, when did you get so hot, Percy? Because we know that, like, bathing in the, the river makes them look like better because Percy commented on how hot Luke looked basically <laughs> after he did. I love that Percy sees the vision that Hestia shows him and basically it does not think about it afterwards at all. And I'm like the vision was to show that Luke's weakness is like Annabeth, right? 
but also like I don't know he's been kind of a dick to her so like maybe rather than Annabeth it's like family is his weakness maybe it's also just so that Percy finally understands where Annabeth is coming from yeah he's like hey you need to like make up with your girlfriend because this is ridiculous and have some like nuance and empathy so here's the vision and he's just like I don't know what to do with this immediately gets mad when Annabeth talks about Luke yeah love that I love that learning Percy um I also am like are George and Martha named after George and Martha Washington because that's dumb (laughs) (laughs) how did you think of that I don't know it popped into my brain when I was taking notes and I was like wow so patriotic I do have to own this, that I do feel for Hermes a little bit here. Because, like, he just has had to watch this all happen. Like, yes, he's a god, but, like, Zeus also, like, has imposed all these weird rules about how much they can get involved and such. And, like, I feel for him a little bit. Just a little. I feel for him, but again, it's, like, the consequences of his own actions of allowing Zeus to impose these rules. Allowing Zeus to be rulers, like, the ruler. Like, it's... Everyone is suffering because of it, but they're allowing Zeus to continue to rule and throw his weight around in the way that he does. Like, they could try and step in a little bit. Like, they are also gods. They yeah, can like, be a little protective of their children. Not only should the minor gods unionize, but, like, the not-Zeus gods should unionize. <laughs> you should just kill Zeus. You should just get rid of Zeus, please. Zeus, Jeff Bezos, spaceship, <laughs> never come back. <laughs> Send them into the spaceship. You're good. <laughs> I also think it's kind of nice of Morpheus to just put everyone to sleep. Yeah, so they don't have to deal with it. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, they're not that bad. They're not trying to kill all the mortals, at least, right? I mean, I guess that's what Rick had to do. I mean, this is, again, putting a lot of credit to Rick, where he probably doesn't deserve it. But like, Yeah, true. So when if or when Percy is continuously offered to just, like, give up or join Kronos, it's not, like, that easy of a decision. Because Kronos, at this point, hasn't really killed anyone. Nobody's, like, Mm -hmm. even gotten hurt. Whereas the gods are constantly hurting their own children, so... hmm. True. True. Whereas if Kronos was just mass murdering and genocide, like, across the world, I think it would have been much easier for Percy to be, like, no gods are correct. To, like, take a side, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, are you ready for the lightning bolt round questions? Yes, I am. Okay. Where would you choose to have the Achilles curse? I do love your idea of the butthole. I find it <laughs> very funny, but I don't want to choose that. No. Um, and I'm like, what is my tie to the mortal world? <laughs> my butt. <laughs> I think I, I I think Percy's spot is like the stupidest spot. Yeah. I don't I think it's bad like I'd want to be able to keep an eye on my spot and like your back like you know just like oh it's it's right there in the cards getting stabbed in your back like oh I don't like it. It feels too obvious, but I guess Very his in armor, line with his fatal flaw. Yes. And I guess his armor covers it. I think I would put mine like behind my ear. Hmm. Because I'm wearing a helmet in this battle situation, so that would cover it. And also, like, who's gonna be like, I'm gonna stab her in the ear. Like, not just the ear, like, the spot behind my ear. Who's gonna stab me there? No that one. That's true. I, I also want it this to be is, secret. 
I feel like this shows that Percy definitely, like, has not talked to Annabeth because if he had consulted with her, I'm sure she could have come up with a better spot and then they yeah. could have worked together to make sure that spot is protected. She would have, like, had a whole list, like an Excel spreadsheet of, like, pro- pros and cons of each spot on his yeah. body and he would have, like, been really embarrassed about her doing this. <laughs> well, because, like, then he's like, well, I chose the small of my back and I'm sure she would have just killed him right then and there like this she would have been like no yeah i think i think i would have chosen like my neck or someplace that like if i got stabbed normally i would die (laughs) right because my instinct would then be to protect that spot also it's like if a person is going there regardless if it's my achilles heel or whatever i'm gonna die if I don't True. defend myself there. So I think somewhere, like, in front of me, somewhere that I would instinctively protect and keep my, like, guard on for, but also would kill me regardless. So it's not embarrassing that, like, oh, I got him in, like, the big toe and he just died. <laughs> I stepped on his toe and he just died. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, yeah, we, we cut her, like, we got her in, like, the neck and we cut her throat and she, like, obviously died. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if you had a singing entrance, what song would you require your guests to sing in order to enter? Mm, something embarrassing. Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. And, like, they have to use the accent. They gotta get the twang. That's a good one. Thank you. I would do uh, Rasputin, I think. <laughs> Especially because it's got such a, it's a historical context. Oh, um, yes. You have to know all of the lyrics, which I think is hilarious, because you learn something, too. You have to learn the lyrics and learn history. Also, True. it's such a banger. It's so catchy. Mm-hmm. So catchy. And now you're really educating people. Yeah, exactly. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> Rasputin's work, apparently. Yes. <laughs> All right, last but not least, what animal would you send after someone who has been rude to you in the past just to lightly harass them? This is not your enemy, just someone who has kind of inconvenienced you and you want to continue to inconvenience them. Oh, like what's an animal that's like annoying? That would be annoying to always have around. I mean, Anna is really cursed with this because like she gets the cow dropping and then she gets the spiders. Yeah, that really sucks. Yeah. I would say, like, a goose. A goose? Yeah. Just to, like, follow well, them around? Aren't they, like, kind of aggressive? Aren't they, geese they have kind teeth. of aggressive? They do have teeth. Yeah. That is true. And they squ- Like, they just honk. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> like, every time you're trying to do something, they'd be like, honk. <laughs> and then they could poop everywhere, too. That'd be annoying. That is true. And they're, like, big enough to, like, follow you around and be intimidating. Yeah, and they can fly, so, like, you look up at your window, and, like, you're on, like, a fifth-story building, and you just see a goose there, like, quack. <laughs> I was gonna say a crow, but I think the goose is a lot funnier. <laughs> Crow's crow? kind of, like, ominous, and, like, has claws and shit, whereas the geese with their little webbed feet would be hilarious. The crow is real, though. Crows mm-hmm. are mean. You no, and I, I both have been attacked by crows. Been attacked by a crow. It's an ex- exclusive club, actually. <laughs> People who've been attacked by crows. Especially in the, the greater Seattle area where yeah. we have a giant crow population. And they're, like, notably aggressive. When yeah. after I got attacked by a crow, I, like, did a lot of crow research. You know, true to my child of Athena thing. 
and I found out that they, they first of all, have a seven-year memory and they recognize faces, which is concerning. But in specifically Seattle and Vancouver, Canada, they're known for being extremely aggressive. And, like, the scientists were like, we don't really know why. They're, like, way more aggressive in these areas. So that's fun. I love that for us. And I'll just, uh, since they recognize faces, maybe crows just attacked, like, really pretty people. And, oh, like, there that's we go. what happened to us, you know? Yes, like, exactly. they're jealous. <laughs> I definitely thought it was trying to, it didn't hurt. It just kind of like put its feet in my hair and I thought it was trying to steal my hair. Like it took me a couple moments to realize it was a crow. Like mm. I was like, what is on my head? Because like, I was running. So it was like not a yeah. great time. Yeah. It got me while I was running too. And then it followed me. This is maybe, what? what's the god of crows? They're out, they have it out for us. <laughs> Are there crows over in the Mediterranean? I have no idea. But yes, they, the mi- whatever minor god that is, like, you suck. Yeah, you're the worst. Um, oh, ravens? Ravens are associated with Apollo. And Apollo will send ravens or crows t- to spy on his lover. Oh my gosh, we're oh my his god. lover! We're both his lover? That tracks. Yeah. <laughs> Apollo. That tracks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's okay. He's spying on us. Wow. Apollo. What, is he telling us to stop running? He's like, I'd like my women to, like, stationary. Yeah. It's like, no running. Stop (laughs) it. You can't be faster than me. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, next episode, we get into chapters 10 through 12, where the battle truly begins. And you can follow us on social media at Camp Half Pod on all the socials. <laughs> and don't forget, if you have anything you want to talk about long form, email us at camphalfpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening to the podcast. And if wherever you're listening doesn't allow rate and reviews, you can go out of your way and look it up <laughs> on Apple Podcast where they do and give it a good review. Because you love us. Because you love us. Good reviews only. (laughs) Yeah, good reviews only. (laughs) Bye.